Welcome to the program. This is Nick Rita, your host, and I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. What a privilege to open the Bible today together and start from the beginning. Our series of studies will focus on the book of Genesis, and I believe we have a lot of things to learn from there. But I would like to welcome our panel today. Welcome, Brenton. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be part of the panel today. Looking forward to this series of studies. They should be really good. Joe, it's also good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Len, thank you for joining. Thank you for your welcome, Nick. And hello, listeners. And Lydia, it's good to have you with us. What a blessing. Praise the Lord for that. I always feel blessed, really blessed. And Helen, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for preparing this uh, study for today and facilitating. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm really excited about this quarter because these studies are going to answer many questions for people on, you know, who we are and where are we from and what's happening. I, I think it's just a wonderful study. Love it. Thank you. Absolutely right. And uh, looking forward, you know, to uh, go through the whole uh, book of Genesis and uh, maybe have some input from our listeners also. It will be really nice to to hear how the book of uh, Genesis fit into the Christian life, particularly for those who, who are uh, Christians, but not only. But Helen, back to you. Please take us through. Thank you so much, Nick, and welcome to all the listeners that are tuned in or are going to watch this. And um, we certainly pray the Holy Spirit will be with us as we go through it. Let me just mention as a way of introduction that the first two chapters of the Bible tell the creation of humankind and our habitat. They also help us to understand the reason that we were created, to live happily forever with our Creator. That, to me, is good news. It's not a scientific account that we're dealing with because we are, we're not ready for that, even today in the 21st century, to understand the creation process. But it's a simple and poetic account so we can understand our origin. We are the crown of creation, perfect creatures made by God and not a result of chance. But before we go any further, Brenton, would you lead us in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we come into your presence today through Jesus, our saviour. Not only is he our saviour, he's our creator. We are looking at the origin of us as human beings and this world. We realise that the, the God that we're praying to right now was before all of these things. Lord, open our understanding today as we explore this subject in Genesis 1 and 2, may we understand that God was always there, always will be there, and always will be there in the future as well. We thank you for the security that that brings. We thank you for the peace that we can have in knowing that we are created in your image. And Lord, help us to recognise the efforts that heaven is making to restore man to the image of God in this day and age in which we live. We thank you for the privilege of sharing this study together. And we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to really open our minds as we explore together 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you very much. Now, the book of Genesis is really the door that opens the rest of Scripture, and it contains all the foundational biblical truths. The stories of Genesis lend themselves to universal interest because they actually have everything. You think you get it by watching TV? Well, get into the scriptures, especially in Genesis. Talks about religion, politics, sex, violence, wars, famine, love and hatred, worldwide disasters, gastronomical interests, ethical dilemmas and suspense and intrigue all wrapped up in a true and timeless story with cosmic bearings and eternal repercussions. The book of Genesis is not just about beginnings, my friend, but also it's a book about the future and thus projects a horizon of host. Then started us off and let's, let's know or tell us who wrote the book of Genesis and when was it written? All right. Well, the author of Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy is attributed to Moses who was the leader of the Israelites. It's thought that um, Moses wrote most of these five books, the Pentateuch, uh, during the wanderings in the wilderness, the 40 years in the wilderness. Um, People have dated this, and it's probably somewhere between 1446 to 1406 BC, so almost one and a half millennia before Christ, this book was written. Now, you'd think to yourself, had Moses a really good memory? Well, he might have, I don't know. But uh, we read in Second Thessalonians 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And God probably inspired Moses to write, gave him the memories and thoughts so that he could um, put down what God wanted us human beings to know. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. The long years spent amid the desert solitudes we're rich in blessing, not alone to Moses and his people, but to the world, including us, including you listeners, in all succeeding ages. The short answer to the question, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, when? Round about one and a half millennia, that's 1500 years BC. Thank you so much, Lynn. Isn't it interesting that, well... There is no other conclusion to come to except that the Holy Spirit um, instructed and guided him because Moses wasn't there at creation, was he? No, he didn't witness it with his own eyes. So I believe, yes, as you have brought out that text, all scripture is inspired. Thank you for that, Lynn. The profound sentence in Genesis 1 verse 1 stands for me like an archway at the beginning of the universe, and I have meditated on this many a time and just meditated on on the creation story, it amazes me and it's mind-boggling. But, Brenton, perhaps you can enlighten us on Genesis 1-1, please. Yes. 
The situation uh, here is quite simple. The text, Helen says this, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you stopped at the word in the beginning God, that really sums up everything that uh, we need to know. What it does is it helps us to understand that God was always there and he will always be there throughout eternity. It also helps us to understand that if God has always been there, his understanding of time is very different from our understanding of time. John uh, 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 17 says that everything was made by him. So we have a situation, Helen, where God was there in the beginning. He was there at, uh, through every aspect of human history. But the point is that he was there long before any of that. So um, what does that do for us today in 2022? I believe it does a number of things. I believe it helps us to understand that the person who created us has always been there and that that gives us a certain sense of security because we know where we came from. We know that we were created in God's image. We know what God's plan is, that is to restore us into his image because of the situation we're in that was marred by sin, and we know what the future holds. Now, in a world that is, uh, shall we say, very, very uncertain, particularly in the times in which we're living at the moment, this is a profound statement because we know our origins, we know our present, and we know the glorious future that God has for us if we believe this statement, in the beginning, God. And uh, I believe that that can help us as we go through our study today. Thank you very much, Brenton. In the beginning, God, we should spend time just even dwelling on that statement. It's just it's just amazing. Some people say that, yes, you know, we believe that God created the earth, but then he left us to it. But there is a text, and I haven't got it in front of me, but it does talk about him sustaining the stars and um, very clear through Psalms that he is there with us. And he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Uh, Lydia, you want to make a comment? Yes. How beautiful the earth was when it came from the, the creator's hand. God presented before the universe a world in which even all his seeing eye could find no spot or stain. No defect or crookedness. Each part of his creation occupied the place assigned it and answered the purpose for which it was created. God looked upon the work of his hands wrought out by Christ and pronounced it very good. He looked upon a perfect world in which there was no trace of sin, no imperfection. How wonderful! To create a perfect world, I think in our limited mind, we cannot comprehend this perfection at, at this stage. Yeah, it it's, gives us hope, though, when you think and you read the Bible that um, Eden was lost because, and we're going to deal with that next week, the fall, but the fall of man into sin. But we are also assured that it's going to be restored in, in again to perfection. 
when God cleans the earth and, and, and Jesus comes again. That should give us tremendous hope. I mean, to think that I have a friend who said that, that she wants to build a house when she's on the earth made new and she wants to build it out of roses because they'll never die. Mm. And I thought, well, that's very true. You know, it's just no pain, no suffering, no death, no parting. It's just going to be perfect. Just quickly, Helen, um, as you read the story of creation in Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 of Genesis, one thing I find that we don't spend a lot of time on when we read this, after each of the events of the days of creation, it uses the word, and it was so. Now, I found that very instructive because, and it was so, to me, means a sense of permanence. It means a sense of stability. It means that when God said it, that was it. It was done. It was finished. It was completed. He was happy with it. So at each stage of the creation process, right down to when man and woman were created on the sixth day, it says, and it was so. And um, I believe that the same person who made that statement also spoke, you remember, on the on the storm on the Lake of Galilee where Jesus said to the disciples to take courage i am he said i'm here i'm in charge of the the billows and the waves it's the same sense of security i think that we can have in 2022 god spake and it was so and if we believe that wholeheartedly i believe we can base our whole faith in god and our whole future on that statement and it was so Thank you, Brenton. It reminds me of a statement a little boy was having a discussion with his friend and the little boy said, mummy said this and, and the guy said, taint so. And he said, my mum said it, it is so. But then it went on further to say, God said it, I believe it. Yes, and that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Well, let, let's just have a look at the overall structure of the creation. I, I was interested to find that there was two different ways that God brings to us the accounts of creation. There's a, a far and a near sort of conception, but Len, can you enlighten us on this, please? Well, how many hours do we have? Uh, five uh, minutes? No. <laughs> basically, Only we're one. covering <laughs> the first two chapters of Genesis, and I'd just like to make some preliminary statements. Pretty much everybody in the world believes that um, life began somewhere. It had a beginning. And, of course, we know that the evolutionists give uh, the beginning of life uh, probably at least 500 million years ago. Okay, they say it uh, just came about on its own. We have the account from Genesis which says it happened in seven literal 24-hour days. Okay, we'll deal with that more a little later. The Jehovah Witnesses now, they have uh, extrapolated that from the statement said in Peter, with God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, so they say that each day in Genesis represents a thousand years. And then we have another group called the theistic evolutionists. They try to marry evolution and Christianity. 
And they say, well, God started it all. He, he wound the clock, so to speak, and then he let it run on its own. So there are four different accounts of beginnings. But the thing in common is that everybody agrees that there was some beginning. And that's what it says in Genesis, which Brendan read before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you were talking about a near and far, or a far and near type of creation. It tells us in Genesis, it also reiterates this in uh, Psalms chapter 33, verse 9, that God spoke, and it was. And so when you read the Genesis account, the first day God made light, the second day God divided the expanse um, or made the expanse, dividing the waters from the waters. Some people are a bit unsure about that. The next day there was dry land and vegetation. The fourth day, the sun and the moon. The fifth day, there were sea creatures and birds. The sixth day, land creatures and man. And then the seventh day, God rested. So, as I said before, it states in Psalm 33 and also in Genesis where God spoke and those things appeared. But when it came to the making of man, God employed a different method. If you like, it was the hands-on method. And the Bible says the Lord God made man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So this is definitely a hands-on uh, method with making of man. You have to ask the question, why? Why did God make the animal simply by speaking, and yet with man he did something different? Some people have this idea that God made a, um, oh, I suppose you could say a statue or something like that out of mud and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Well, I'm not sure about that. The Bible doesn't actually tell us much about that. But God made man in a different method. And the question is, why? Well, I think it's uh, all summed up, and I won't take too much of somebody else's part here, but man was made in God's own image. Genesis one twenty six, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and so on and so on. We're not dead sure if this means physical looks, but we do know that man has some aspects which are not found in the animal kingdom. Things like emotions, love, uh, a sense of right and wrong. So uh, this is how God made man. Now, some people say, well, did he make woman? Yes, he did. He made woman from man in a different method. Listeners, if you haven't read these chapters, these early chapters of Genesis for a while, I advise you to take your Bibles down and read them because I believe that you will learn the truth 
rather than have all these theories thrust at you by other people. The word of God is truth. And so read it. God made woman from man. And Adam said, she shall be called well, man because she was made from man. And I think there's a very important issue here. Because God took a rib from Adam's side, it simply means that woman is not to be subservient, that she's of a lesser moral standing with God or anything like that. She's on an equal plane. There's no difference, as Jesus pointed out and as the Apostle Paul pointed out, in Christ there is no difference between male and female, Jew nor Greek, etc., etc. So here we have the two methods God used. The overall method was God spoke, and it was, and then where God actually had a hands-on method, he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. I'd love to go on, but I'm sure somebody else would like to say something. Thank you, Len. Nick? Yes, Helen. Uh, I just wanted to comment on a couple of things um, in regard to uh, the creation of man and why God didn't just speak out, you know, but he got involved in this. But just before I'm saying that, I'd like to just add something to what Len was uh, saying in regard to uh, the relationship, uh, man and woman, and how woman was taken from Adam. And Len mentioned that thing that uh, man and woman, there are on equal basis, which is uh, true. We are all as God's creation in front of God on equal level. The only difference is I want to point out that is that man and woman, they have different even attributes. As God is one, I mean, God, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, they have different attributes. And sometimes the Holy Spirit or Jesus will submit, will submit themselves to, to the other person of the Godhead. The reason I'm saying this, because in the world today, as the enemy of God and enemy of man is doing his work, will try to mix up that uh, aspect, saying that the man and woman there are equal, which means sometimes the woman can take the role of a man or the man can take the role of a woman, which is totally wrong, I believe. God has specifically placed every single uh, person with their own attributes. And it's an unfortunate to see that today, uh, the things are changed and upside down. But I want to come back to how I see why God created man and got involved in that. Go down, get a, whatever uh, dust and form the man. is because it's a relationship involved. Because it's a, I'm a carpenter by, by trade and I work with wood. And you know, you need to have a relationship with wood because otherwise you cannot just chop as you want. You have to, to have that sort of understanding and relationship with each other. And you know, the potter is reflected in this aspect and the potter can throw the clay away 
it doesn't come as good as he wants it. Because the clay may not like to be molded also. And this is reveals for the whole aspect because God is it's an omniscient God and he knew what's going on uh, with the, all his creation. I believe this was a very significant point. He was just not speaking out men uh, come on, on the stage. He, he wanted to have that relationship. Thank you, Nick. Interesting that um, just as God came down and touched the earth with forming man in the dirt, Jesus came down to this earth in the dirt of the stable to the lowest for us as well. There is a similarity. Some interesting points out of this. I'll make them concise. Um, That is this. Why did God make woman in the first place? He made her to be loved by man. This, The fact that he made woman, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. This presupposes to me that the God ahead, Helen, is a plurality. A singular God would not come up with this. Why would you want someone to love, someone to cherish, if you were a singular singular figure. So therefore, I believe I can see in here the plurality of the Godhead. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does he do? He says it's not good. Every one of the animals obviously had a companion, but it suggests very strongly when Moses wrote the book of Genesis that uh, man didn't have a companion. And God said, it's not good that a man should be alone or make him someone who is comparable to him. I think this is a very important point as we think of the Godhead, the fact that Jesus came to this earth because he loved us. We are told that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The same love is to be expressed between husband and wife. And it starts right back here at creation. It starts back where the plurality of the Godhead is clearly set forth and the fact that we were created as both male and female to complement one another, to love one another and to bond in the same way by saying, for this cause a man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. I tell you what, there's a whole study in that, but (laughs) that's just some interesting thoughts. Thank you, Brenton Lynn. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So when God made the earth and everything that was in it, he made things that were mature and complete. And then um, afterwards, from verse 27, verse 28 goes on, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, etc., etc. In other words, procreate. It had to be woman before man procreated. And so this tells me that woman did not evolve. Woman was a deliberate creation of God right back there uh, when he made the earth. And uh, so God loved woman as he loved man that he had created. Thank you, Lynn. There's so much we can say about every point here, isn't there? 
Um, creation itself is, I believe, the first evidence of faith in God. When we read in Hebrews 11.3, it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I'd like to ask a question of the panel in that how does the fact, and short answers please, how does the fact that faith begins with the belief in creation affect your life and your choices? Would somebody like to start off? Yes, Brenton. I I see it this way. Um, My belief in creation, as it reads, as Lynn has so aptly put it, uh, by believing that we were created in God's image, there is a certain word that seems to uh, not be held in very high regard in our society at the moment, uh, but it's important for us. If we believe that God created us in him, his image, we have an issue called accountability. We are accountable for the way we look after our planet. We are accountable for the way we look after one another. We are accountable for the way that we look after our own bodies. So every aspect of our lives is touched by a belief in a literal creation. I believe accountability is first and foremost the thing that people want to avoid these days. Evolution does not teach accountability, but I believe an accurate understanding of creation does. Thank you, Brenton. Lydia? If we look in the way uh, our body, our human body is constructed in such a complicated way, I'm not talking here as a, as a doctor professional, but, you know, people uh, that are professional and are, they are working in, in science, the way um, the cells, the DNA, the role of the DNA in our bodies, for example, or, or the blood cells, the ability to repair itself, the brain, the way is is created. And many, many other things in our bodies is created so complicated but in such a wise way that I don't know how come people comprehend that our human body is not created by a master mind, which is the creator. Mm. I agree with you. Thank you so much for that. Any other comments? Yes, Lynn. Well, the evolutionists say, are you Christians? You believe in creation intelligent design, that's all by faith. You can't prove it. It's not science. Well, I'd like to turn the tables around and say, can you prove it, you evolutionists? Can you prove what you're talking about? You can't. They have to accept what they believe also by faith. Now, we get a lot of stuff shoved down our throats that evolution is science. It is not science. It's a story at its very best. We can't prove God's creation. We have evidence to show us and we have the word of God. So we have to accept it by faith. But let me tell you, listeners, that if you've got um, an inclination to believing what evolution teaches, you have to accept by faith. Science cannot prove that evolution is true. So thank you, Len, for those comments. Okay. Oh, yes, Nick, you have a comment. Yeah, just very quickly, uh, the difference probably is in between science or, uh, you know, faith or um, 
uh, non-believers and believers is that if you don't believe in God, what you see here, when what you can even prove through the science, that's it. You know, what you see, it will end, you know. And uh, in our life, uh, which says that the strongest may live up to 80, 70, 80, you know, years old. Uh, after that, what? And many scientists, they came to the conclusion at the end of their life that must be something more than this. Because uh, um, if that's all, it's a pity. For a Christian, it's just the beginning. And that's the difference. If you believe in creation, if you believe in God, the one who's the sustainer of life, who promised us that will give us life eternal. And I believe, I, I don't want to be in the um, category of those people who say this is just an accident, you know, uh, uh, happening. I believe uh, we are looked after by the one who created us and he is willing to give us eternal life, even though the condition of our life right now, it's a sinful one and we can be lost just because of this condition. But Jesus paid the price and we have that opportunity to be with God forever. Thank you, Colonel. I find it very interesting when I was thinking about that question, how does the belief in creation affect my life and my choices? It affects me in everything that I do and everything I say and where I walk and what I choose um, because in my belief that God is the creator and an amazing creator and he's in control of everything and he is the king of kings and lord of lords, it it makes me want to stand in awe of him. And when I look at nature and see the amazing things that he has created, I just want to go into to thanking him for all he has done. But let's just move on. Joe, this has been shared a little bit, but I think you've got extra comments that you might be able to share with us. What did God think of creation? Well, it says in Genesis 131, it says that, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. How many times um, have we embarked on a project which sounded good in our minds or on paper? but then didn't work out how we had hoped for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They turned out to be disappointing and perhaps not what we expected. But this was not the case with God. Now, I imagine that speaking humanly that the construction, the creation of this world would have at some point become an idea and a concept in God's mind. And I'm saying this, this from a human aspect. But then when it became reality and he surveyed the reality of those plans, when he looked at what he had finished, he said that it was good, it was very good, and clearly it was everything that he had hoped for, planned for, pure perfection, not like our own plans. Now, I would like to also read because Genesis one thirty one and chapter 2, verse 1, which are straight after the other, I'll read 31 again and then the following text. And it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And we just said that. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Now, I really like this verse. I think chapter 2, verse 1 is very, very important because 
It says that it was finished. It was finished. Creation was completed, full stop. It was not a process left over, you know, uh, that went on for millions of years to accomplish its purpose. The world had been created in six days and now was finished. Um, it is definitive, finished, done, work stopped. Everything was very good, flawless, not a thing more needed to be done. Good point. You know, now imagine, imagine what the eye would have beheld, Helen, the beauty, the symmetry, the order, the wonder. No wonder the psalmist sings a psalm of praise. And he says in Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture. This is also our attitude uh, when we contemplate and admire the natural world around us, I'm sure. A wonderful creator worthy of all adoration. I'd like to bring in Revelation 4.11 and one of the songs in heaven that the 24 elders sing is you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and we're created. Amen. 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 Thank you Absolutely. so much, Joe. That was just yep. beautiful. And it's um, all definitely a gift from God, isn't it? He put it all in place way before any man was created. And it was like he was saying, well, you'll need this and you'll need that and you'll need this and this needs that. And it was just Totally amazing. I'm really lost for words. But God gave, has given us many, many gifts. And I'd like to look at another gift God gave us, and that was perfect humankind. So, Alicia, can you share and comment on, on um, some of the verses in Genesis for us, please? Yes, I would like to read um, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which is saying, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord had formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, a living soul. The fact that um, God created humans in his own image it's one of the boldest statement uh, of the bible only humans have been created in the image of god now god created the beast of the earth according to its kind but god created man in his own image as i read this formula um, has often been limited to the spiritual nature of humans which is interpreted to mean that the image of god is understood to signify only the administrative function of representing god or the spiritual function of relationship with god or with each other so while these understandings are correct they fail to include the important physical reality of this creation because both dimensions are indeed included in the in these two words image and likeness 
describing this process in Genesis 1.26, while the Hebrew word, which is tselem, that means image, refers to the concrete shape of the physical body, the word demut, which it means likeness. Likeness refers to abstract qualities that are comparable in to the divine person. In the image of God should be understood in the holistic sense of the biblical view of human nature. The biblical text affirms that human individuals, like men and women, have been created in God's image physically as well as spiritually. In fact, this holistic understanding of the image of God, including the physical body, is reaffirmed in the other creation account, which says that man became a living being literally a living soul. As a result of the two divine operations, God formed and God breathed. The word breath offers refers to the spiritual dimensions, but also is closely tied to the biological capacity of breathing, the part of the man that was formed of the dust of the ground. So it is the breath of life that is breath, is spiritual breath, and life physical. So God performed these two um, operations, but there is another third operation in Genesis 2, verse 21-22, which I'm going to read. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's rib and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, this time, uh, God created the woman from the body of the man, a way to emphasize that she is of the same nature as the man. Is done by his supernatural power of almighty creator. And as a conclusion, I would like to say that we have a spiritual nature that enables us to communicate with God, a physical resemblance to our creator. And God gave us human beings the, the ability to think and make moral decisions, which is different. He didn't give this ability to any, un, any kind of animals or birds or reptiles or insects, but he gave it to the human beings that are, are made in his own image, in his own likeness. Thank you, Richard. That covered quite a bit. Bless you for that. And, and it's totally amazing when you think that we are made in, in his image and we should respect that and respect that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've been bought with a price as well. So we've been created and we've been redeemed, and it's just amazing. But, panel, I'd like to have you answer. You should be able to answer with one word, I'm here, sure. The description of creation radically contrasts the theories of evolution. Are the two views incompatible in every way? Yes, Lynn. No, there are two Two things where they are the same. Both agree on beginnings and you have to accept both by faith. 
Thank you. Apart, apart from that, evolution says things happened by pure chance. Creation says things didn't happen by chance, they were designed. Evolution says things go from simple to complex. Creation says they're already complex when they were made. Evolution says things are getting better and better. Creation, uh, well, doesn't allow for that, but we can see that getting better and better is not happening. Evolution says there's an increase in the genetic material, the genome. Well, the fact that's happening just the opposite, it's going the other way. There's a genome decrease. My children have at least 100 more defects in their genome than I do, and their children will have at least 100 um, mistakes in their genome. Evolution says it all happened over a very long time, creation says. No, not millions of years. And evolution says, well, it doesn't say, but within evolution, no hope. Within creation, all hope. Well, Len, I think you've summed that, summarised that very well. I can see other hands up. I'm thinking you've done the work for the whole panel, but that yeah. was excellent. Yeah. Um, I see that, um, Benton, you'd like to say something. Very quickly. If evolution teaches that we are getting better and better, what is going on in the Ukraine at the moment is a monumental opportunity for us to pause and think. People are saying that we haven't seen this degree of barbarity towards human beings by other human beings since World War II. World War II was nearly 80 years ago. So if we are getting better and better and the United Nations was set up in order that peace might become uh, prevalent right throughout the world, we are seeing in the example of what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment that the inhumanity of man towards man is still the same as it was 4,000 years ago. Good point. And, Joe, you wanted to say something. Well, I think that I think you asked a question earlier about how does creation affect affect one's faith and um, or my own faith, and I think that... If you look at evolution and the flaws in evolution, the reverse could happen in the sense that, um, that when you look at evolution for what it is and what it says, then it builds up your faith in creation. For instance, I think someone had already mentioned there's no explanation of the origin of DNA and the irreducible complexity of a single cell, let alone an entire organism. And also, the lack of evidence or paucity of transitional species. Now, these are major, major, <laughs> major evidence that is lacking. And so um, I think the fact that it's built on such shaky ground pushes one to something that is more believable in my mind. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was well done. Yes, Nick. Yeah, very quickly, I would like to say creation means purpose. Evolution means chaos. Oh, what a good point. Thank you, Nick. That was very well summed up. Okay, well, let's have a, a quick look as we're about to wrap all this up. Everything we noticed was done in six days. The light, the sea, the earth, 
vegetation, the stars, the fish, the birds, the animals, and human beings. But something very important was missing, the tenth element that would put the cap on the process, and that was another gift, the seventh day. And God introduced the perfect time of creation as a gift for us all. So, Joe, I'm going to ask you if you can briefly read and comment on Genesis 2-2 for us, please. Absolutely. Um, Genesis 2-2 says, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. I think it's important to remember that the seventh-day Sabbath was instituted as part of a perfect world. It was part of the original plan before sin arose, before the need of redemption. It was part of the perfect package, if you like, from the very beginning. It was not a shadow, but a reality. Adam and Eve were to keep the Sabbath in the presence of their father and creator in a perfect world as a memorial of creation or their creation in a perfect communion with God. And they were to teach their children to do so. The new world, had had it not fallen, would have gathered before God to worship and honour him each Sabbath, each week, in perfect happiness. This was the original intention of the Sabbath, a time for meaningful communion with God, a physical and spiritual rest, fellowship with family and other people, a time out for reflection and worship and a celebration of God and being alive and probably much more. Yeah. Now, as I said, it was part of it was part of the original plan, not something tacked on after sin came into the world as an emergency measure. We know from the Bible that the Sabbath, as was originally intended, will continue throughout eternity after the world is restored to its original perfection. Yes, in perpetuity. Now, I refer here to Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23. As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And so we have this... You know, it's almost like sin was just a blip and we have what was intended and what will continue through eons in the future. Now, I know that there's a redemptive aspect of the Sabbath and this came in after after sin came into the world. Before sin, there was no need for redemption. And it was then, Helen, that the role of the Sabbath took on an even greater role. Um, and here it really shines as a means of protecting and preserving man from the corrosive effects of self-worship and forgetting God and our origins. It points mankind to their loving creator. So while it continues to be a memorial of creation, it also takes an additional role in redemption. It not only celebrates creation and the creator God, but now it holds a promise of a world restored and the salvation of mankind, and an acknowledgement of the Saviour as well as the Creator, our kinsman Redeemer, who rescues us from slavery and sin. It points us to our divine Creator, our original purpose, as I think Nick mentioned, our intended future, and our eternal destiny. Freedom from death, sin, and pain. 
Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. You've covered that in an amazing way. You've also <laughs> covered the question that I was going to ask the um, panel, but I won't ask it now because my question was going to be those perfect humans needed this special time. Do we still need it today? And you've already clarified that. So thank you for that. And just before we close, um, we have some people that think that God wants us to play harp sitting on a cloud for eternity. Um, I don't believe that's what God wants. He gave us a responsibility and a final gift, well, not a final gift, but another gift, another blessing was the gift of employment. And very quickly, Brenton, could you share and comment on Genesis 2.8 and 2.15, please? In both those verses, Helen, 2.8 and 2.15, it points out that God made a garden called the Garden of Eden. We know it as the Garden of Eden, and he placed man in that garden. In verse 15, it, it's a little more explicit. It says, In the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The word keep suggests protect, look after, guard. Uh, the word tend uh, indicates that man was given work to do. Now, he was given work to do. We need to understand this, Helen, in the sense that it is not the same is the work that man had to do after the fall, which we'll look at in probably our next study together. Mm-hmm. There were no weeds, so they weren't tending the garden in order to um, eradicate weeds like we do today. Um, it was something that um, they were given to do. I believe it was actually a form of employment that was pleasurable, and I believe furthermore it um gave them an opportunity, in, in a sense, by tending what God had made, it's, it's in a sense, another form of worship. By looking after, uh, Joe has touched on elaborately what um, uh, the Sabbath meant, but by actually tending and looking after the garden and tending the things that God has created, it is another form of returning thanksgiving to God for what he has given to us. We look after what he has created in order to show our gratitude and our praise, and it's a form of worship, I believe. Thank you so much, Brenton. And on that note, um, we need to thank the Lord too that he gave us a perfect home, the Garden of Eden, and he will restore it to its perfection at the end. He also gave us suitable food and a perfect gift of someone to love as well when he created the woman. So, listener and panel, I really would ask that you would think about the vast power of God, God who upholds the cosmos and yet can be so near to each of us is an amazing truth, very, very amazing. And on that note, prayer, um, I'm going to ask Len to finish with prayer for us. A great study, everybody, and thank you for doing it. Just before I pray, I want to ask you a question, listeners. Why do we have seven days in a week? and not six or ten or five. I believe the fact that we have seven days in the week points us, points the whole of society back to the seven days uh, mentioned in the creation story as we find it in the Bible. So would you like to pray with me as we close today? Father in heaven, It's wonderful to realise that we were made deliberately by a loving God. And it's good to realise that our origins are noble origins.
Yes. We're not the product of some slime in a pond or something like that, but the product of a loving God yes. who cared for those he, uh, for the creation that he made. Might this thought carry with us as we live out our lives that we do have a loving God, we do have a responsibility to our God and to other people, and I pray for your blessings on all who listen to this program today. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. It was a great study about the wonderful creation. And as we mentioned today, that uh, perfectly created, and then we, we say that God will restore us. In order to understand that, we are going to look next week into the fall of humankind. Because if it wouldn't be the fall, wouldn't be needed restoration. But I'm inviting you to be part of next uh, week to learn more and to be able to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. May God bless you.